opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. For Saturday night, November 13th, 2021, presented by Anime North, this is episode 53 of the Anime Roundtable Canada. Good evening from Six Points, 10 minutes south of the Anime North compound in the Toronto West End. Mike Nicholas, James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohamed Shamarki, and Jeff Gregg as the roundtable now assembles. A quick reminder that we want you to have your say as well. Go old school, anime roundtable at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram at anime roundtable and the archive anime roundtable.com for past episodes and show notes. And uh, yeah, we'll bring it up again. Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Discord. We may have something to talk about it uh, in those fronts in the very near future. And on that note, can somebody explain to me how people have the money to continuously subscribe to various Twitch channels? Anybody? They budget for it. Oh, they budget? Yeah. How much is a a Twitch channel? subscription per month it depends it depends on how much you love them <laughs> yeah actually it's true yeah it's, I, I guess i mean i'll look at the the streamers i do i watch on twitch and i and i look at how much it costs to subscribe and it's roughly eight bucks as far as i could tell that's medium level wrong. low huh that's medium level low medium low no Give that's me. that's medium level love bro you got to go a little higher maybe 15 dollars a month to uh to oh, show okay. your real love you know okay i'm, I'm mishearing this can't we just watch them and just if we really like them we'll throw them yeah. a buck or whatever like they're already probably yeah. making yeah, tons of money off other yeah, avenues yeah, for sure bits of the bigger ones anyway Co- like, Co- coin operated uh tw- coin operated twitch streams yeah well well you- can some first of all can somebody explain the benefits of being a subscriber Aside from emotes. Thank it's you. A, okay. it's, a, it's a show that you truly <laughs> love them, man. I, I think I've mentioned that already. Well, yeah, that, yeah, show them you truly love them. They'll probably give you a little bit more attention. Just a little bit. Especially at the moment they know you've subscribed. Well, also, just, they're like you uh, sports is... ball players. You never know how long the ride will last, right? Mm. Jeff? All, all you need is multiple Twitch accounts and multiple Amazon Primes, uh, from what I can gather. Um, if you if you want the, I guess the the hack to get semi free <laughs> Twitch subscriptions. <laughs> well, it, it's cool, but I mean, I've subscribed to like full disclosure. I will wa- regularly watch three channels. Do you want me to name them, or should we just leave that for the, uh, let's, for let's, the audience? Let's, let's, let's make a poll, and then we'll have I everyone guess. I think the listeners probably can already guess one of the ones you've probably subscribed to. I think I can, since we've mentioned them in past yeah. episodes. Yeah, I'm not subscribed to. I, I watch. I watch. Because I, 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 I don't subscribe to them, because, well, you guys know I, I, I'm still unemployed at this point. As of, well, that's another story. So every so often, people will gift me subscriptions. 
which is really cool. So thank you always. But then I'll see people who like, you know, subscribe for six months, 12 months, 18, 19 months. And I just wonder, how do they have, do they have the money re to do, really do this? When you subscribe I, for that long, do you pay that all in one shot? Or is that ended up, is that become monthly? Good There's question. Like the streaming how the hell one, do yeah, I know? It's paid. I think it's paid in full. I would say paid in full, but what do I know? Like this is this is this is the Gen Xer speaking in me. Uh, I was thinking the same thing, and I'm a older millennial, as they say. It's like I just don't see the worth, right, of playing down the money for that. I'm sure other things we spend on people, other people could say the same thing, right? You know, I always found that a little weird when people like donate a hundred subs or like giant sums of subs because it seems like you're tipping the, the streamer, I guess, in a way. But then it's like a lot of money you're giving them all at once. Or like yeah. when they'll donate like a hundred subs to everyone in the chat kind of situation. Where I'm like, I mean, you must have a lot of extra money. Like, I mean, damn. Some people yeah, do. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's what I say. I mean, do. good for the good for the streamer. I hope they get the money. Like sometimes we treat ourselves to little things here or there. That's just how that individual wants to. Well, yeah, beyond that. But remember, there have I, been I mean, other issues I know with Twitch on that front with money flowing through them. Like I know in Turkey, they had issues in ones that were verified saying that there was money being laundered through certain accounts in Turkey. Oh, for and God's so sakes. They, yeah, they, okay. it was a big thing that blew up and it's still something they probably have to look at even probably in our neck of the woods too, because you never know, right? Mm. Mm. When you say money laundering, I'm I, spocking eyebrow from me and you, you'd know why. And yeah, I don't really, I, I maybe it's just not my thing. And it, really, I, I'm trying not to question it. I, I just acknowledge it as not my thing. And yeah, it just boggles me a little bit. Well, you want, you can look at the uh, uh, other big, uh, Internet uh, streaming uh, neck of the woods, Mike. Uh, did you hear about YouTube uh, this week? And uh, they went to the masses and, masses and said they were going to uh, tinker and get rid of the dislike uh, button on yeah, some uh, yeah. and then, and, and to then, test it out and stuff like that. And they and it kind of blew up in their face, to say the least. And it it's did. the way they it did, did it. Totally okay, did. Left you shaking your Just, head. All right, uh, I didn't hear about that part, so why don't you tell me about it? Just quickly. Does Mo want to say it, or do you want me to uh, say it? No, you got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. Okay, so yeah, YouTube, so they said for some of the streamers that they were going to start trying out that they would get rid of the uh, dislike button, and so it wouldn't be public. But the streamer that's doing the stream and all that stuff, it would still be there for them to see like if someone disliked them and stuff like that and they also said something about hiding it under some other layers but it was maybe two clicks away because a lot of people said they have to go into their analytics to see how their videos are doing to make sure that they can make a living if they actually are doing uh, serious uh, videos for youtube and stuff like that so they would still see if they're looking at their analytics and all that stuff how many people uh, dislike oh, wow. them and stuff like that and so there still be a thing because they were talking about this is a mental health thing. It's like people are bombarding them with dislikes and stuff like that. And 
they said somehow this will be a solution, but it's kind of like, well, that doesn't really make sense because people, if they're really assholes, so to speak, they will probably still hit that dislike button. The person doing the videos and stuff like that, even if they're going through their analytics, will still be able to see that, but they won't be able to go because I know some of them do videos, right? Talking about certain situations or apology videos and so on and so forth. They really can't make it public because then it'll still be a a vicious circle, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's so many layers to it. And I know that that video, when YouTube put it up, explaining their side of it and stuff like that, there was some, uh, quite a few dislikes on that one. Yeah, I was about to say lots of dislikes. Okay. But it's no uh, easy um, issue, right? But uh, what is the bottom line now? Is the dislike button still going to stick around then? Well, we'll see what happens. Because uh, as we know, like they also talked about other things saying like the algorithm, right? That's what people have been talking about forever because it really, it's something they need to look at continuously because as some uh, YouTubers have said, depending on the content they put out, right? Some people Mm -hmm. may be putting out content that doesn't fit nicely into a box, right? That'll be captured for someone maybe to see, right? And there's other mm-hmm. things too, but they said, looking at the dislike button, it's like just taking that out isn't going to make mental stress go away uh, from the online world and stuff like that. It's just kind of covering it up, almost sweeping it under the rug, as some would say, in a way. On the topic of layers, mental stress and the internet, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Jeff? there's uh the muppet like monster youtuber arlo had a pretty good video about this uh instance or this youtube uh dislike bar thing where he he mentioned that yeah there there's the mental health angle it's probably you know a good thing um you know at least in theory but it's easy to read this as a protection against the big companies uh if they do something bad uh you know, there won't be that huge dislike bar. So the advertisers will be more happy with them. Um, so like when Nintendo had the um, the example he used was when Nintendo announced the very expensive uh, N64 and Genesis emulation thing, um, there was a huge dislike bar. Um, and of course, the advertisers wouldn't like that. Um, so, you know, the argument there is that this is mostly to, you know, protect these bigger companies from, you know, backlash from their advertisers you know i guess it's well, i guess it's always self-serving in that, too, yeah. mm. okay as i said this is this is this part of the story is kind of new to me so i i, I want that's, to that's kind of a funny thing i'm thinking just playing and i'm thinking so that kind of makes sense so it's not exactly for all those uh, youtubers you see out there hawking uh the vpns or uh the manscapers <laughs> who knows okay all right let's uh get start to get to the meat and potatoes of the episode it's been about a month since we've done a regular episode by my count we only did two recordings in the entirety of october i think i made that reference already so on the final day of october kevin and i just on impulse decided to do a space heater chat and i made the line that 
sometimes the idea with the chats is just to start a longer conversation when everybody else comes back around the table. So as I said, it's been a month since we uh, all talked as a group, James, Mo, Jeff, I know you guys have heard the Space Heater chat when I finally got around to putting it up after recovering from the, whatever it was, allergy, cold, cough, whatever I got after taping the Space Heater chat. And for reference, as a precautionary measure to everybody, I did go get a COVID test last week in light of having all of that. It came back negative. Huzzah. Thank you. So James, Mo, Jeff, impressions of the Space Heater chat, what caught your attention? Go. Okay, I guess I'll uh, start off. Uh, I'd... Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, go ahead, um, go ahead, Shaky. <laughs> I guess I would say uh, Halloween, and you did talk about the royal family. Halloween, uh, I had forgotten, yeah, we had talked about it in Gen 1 in regards to uh, the events where they weren't too happy about uh, the foreigners uh, on uh, Halloween being a little too, uh, so well, not sobered up, but a little too much alcohol in their system on the subway system. But they're too party hardy. Yeah, but it has, I think, improved quite a lot since then uh, because you guys were talking about that. And it has taken a long time to get where it is now. Like, I know there was a good one on Kotaku I shared with you, Mike, that kind of talks about the genesis of where it's been and where it is now. Like, Tokyo Disneyland and Universal Studios in Osaka, they started at the turn of millennium kind of doing these, like, costume parades and stuff like that and grew it. And then this last decade, it's really, like, ramped up where... It's not about trick-or-treating with the kids at random strangers' houses, but it's more organized. It's more commercial and stuff like that. And obviously, I think some of their retailers, you know how big uh, Valentine's Day and White Day is in Japan. So I think uh, they could probably definitely get behind that, as they said, with different uh, decorations, definitely cosplay uh, factors in, so more parties like that, and then we've seen different suites and confections at different parties, but in a different uh, style than us, like I know in the article I shared with you, Mike, they talked about colors, like we talk about how we see a lot of orange and black and like the supernatural and all that stuff, and they were talking about purple and about uh, sweet potatoes, making cakes out of that and but things it, like that. But it was interesting because the context in that sense, in terms of colors, were somewhat similar because these are colors that associate in their re respective regions to fall. Mm -hmm. Orange, browns, blacks, that's fall. Those are common fall colors here. Purple, you said sweet potatoes because sweet potatoes are common in the fall. And they were talking about purple in terms of witches and stuff like that. And they were using that, I guess, mm -hmm. in cakes and cookies and ice creams. They said that they were using to sell to people because some of them were doing parties. Now, they did mention there is kind of some trick-or-treat, but if it is done, it's very highly organized and stuff like that, probably around a party mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But as they mentioned, like this was uh, Brian Ashcraft, who uh, has been in Japan since... Uh, over 20 years and then he even talked to uh, Matt Alt and stuff like that and it's not as much 
the scary and the supernatural, I think, as it is for us uh, in North America, because they associate, as they even mentioned in the article, that with the summertime, with the Oban and stuff like that, when they're visiting their dead yeah, deceased ancestors and visiting the graves and stuff like yeah, that. And you see that in anime too, right? Like the scary episodes, it's all about the summer. It's about that test of courage and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 that's right. We remember Halloween has its roots in commemorating those that have left us. And it's uh, common in the cultures that have Halloween, although they, all, over time that's been lost. That part of the Halloween celebrations never got to Japan, but they have their version of it already, and that's in August. So that never really figures in. So once again, it sort of becomes a little bit like you, you take a holiday that becomes that's ha, means one thing in one part of the world, but then it's taken into Japan and it's made into something else very different. And that's essentially and it's, it's along the lines of what's happened during Halloween. Like think about Christmas, think about Valentine's and then the additional white day. Right. Like and then even even our perceptions of the new year. Christmas is seen as the single most romantic day in Japan. And it's not really, and as far as I know, it's not a holiday there. Correct. But it's more Christmas. I can speak from experience that Japan is, or (laughs) that Christmas is not a holiday in Japan. I was going to say, Christmas Eve is more of a thing, though, right? Where it's the couples getting together, and then the other thing, KFC, as we know. Okay, thank you. And and cakes. good. And. Yeah, finger. You know what? Thinking <laughs> of crazy days, and I, I'm not sure how it's done in North America and outside of China this year, but Singles Day, it's like and I'm still wrapping my hands which... ra- head around it because we know it as September, November 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the 11th takes on different, a completely different meaning. I I noticed that um, Omomo, which is a Japanese dollar store here in in Canada, it's Daiso. Um, it's it's essentially yeah. the Daiso stores here, but in, I in, at least in Ontario. I noticed that their um, Pocky Day celebration, I think, intentionally went to the fourteenth or fifteenth. Um, and you know, I'm pretty sure that was done because you know, having it just on Remembrance Day would probably be fairly awkward. So they made it a weekend. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that that's one t- that's one thought that sort of came came away. And in, in some ways this repackaging of a holiday. Remember and it's almost roundabout to me. But remember when we talked about how Japan itself kind of handle is handling the pandemic and I think it was Roland Kelts who kind of paralleled it with the isolationism way back. It was in an earlier episode we did this year, but about how how um, how uh, Japan dealt with the pandemic, and it has a lot of parallels with other things that they've dealt with in the past. I know it's kind of roundabout, but it, it's just something. I, 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 do, Go ahead. I do think that the way you know Japan handles different things. Um, you know, is is interesting, like just based off of everything you were discussing, um, like the idea of something like a haunted house or like um, the 
uh, Wonderland Halloween haunt, like that isn't, you know, something Japan has really adopted. Um, and I think that, you know, you can make comparisons to, you know, Japanese and East Asian horror um, as a genre being quite different and being more psychological and slower. The kind of, you know, jump scare, you know, zombie chainsaw thing isn't really a thing there even though that they've adapted things like trick-or-treating usually in like community centers and you know as you mentioned as a sort of organized smaller scale thing um the colors the um of course the stores would love to use it for advertising um so i i i do think that it it relates to their you know adoption of christmas like it's seen as this you know american foreign inspired thing but they're i don't think they're ever trying to completely replicate what goes on in the u.s they're just just, making it they're just making it their own way so that they can process it i guess yeah and it's not a major thing either like they have their own major things it's just something oh this is cool you know japan likes you know the images of witches and ghosts like the iconography is is very interesting you know to lots of people around the world so you know they'll play around with it it's fun yeah well i I, up and have fun too again for one night so well i I, personally since uh sometimes food is often on my mind i just think yoshoku like that line of japanese cuisine that really is just a redo of western cuisine for them right but uh yeah i mean it just seems halloween has like from the first time we talked about it all those years ago, it's not, it's no longer foreigner go home attitude. It's just there. And I I think part of that is just, you know, even, you know, when, when you would have talked about that, I guess, sort of the early 2000s, um, you know, the, the idea of foreigners, being in Japan, working um, the different, you know, language education, it's, you know, it had been established for a few decades at that point. But I think that there was a real boom, like, right around that time where so many, you know, people were applying and going on the JET program. And if you didn't get accepted on the JET program, you'd go through Interact or another service, and people would study Japanese and go for non-teaching jobs. So I think that there was such an influx of a foreigner presence, um, you know, probably mostly in places like Tokyo, but scattered across the country. And the more that that kind of builds up and the more generations of, um, you know, visitors into the country, um, the more the generation of children will, you know, remember, or not not just children, but like, you know, the adults uh, people interact with as well, um, will remember, oh, my you know, English teacher talked about Halloween and it will just kind of reverberate and become something more and more, um, if not accepted, at least known about. I think it's just, we're 20 years, uh, 20 years removed from the culture shocks. Well, it was still happening, uh, late aughts because the Shinjuku, uh, station incident where they actually had the yeah, protest that, 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 that was well, 2009. Not 20 years, let's say 10. Okay. More closer to 10. A decade outside of the shocks, right? Yeah, and and there were there were incidents this year as well. Like it, it's it's still, you know, things aren't completely harmonious as far as the the foreign influence uh, um, debate or, or conflicts there. But I think you know overall things are, 
you know, if you look, if you stand back and look at the trends, I think that there's a, hopefully a stabilization. And I think most people would, I was going to say, most people I think would say it's a little disrespectful to kind of gather in a public space, especially a subway uh, that's moving along while people are trying to get home and stuff like that. And kind of party a bone in costumes and probably have alcoholic beverages. I suppose that's one thing. Yeah. I suppose that's one thing, but uh, hey, a street corner or uh, something in uh, downtown, just a street party there. Okay, maybe that a little better. We're making progress, that's all. Okay, anything else come out of the Space Eater chat grabbed you, that grabbed your attention? The, the issue of, of copyright and piracy, I think, um, jumped out at me. Um, I think, you know, I can't believe that there was a, essentially a fan fan translation panel at a at a large convention that seems wild that that you know as Kevin mentioned that that got through the um the review board essentially um but something that so I, I started thinking about um you know possible solutions to um I guess the um the problems that came up and two kind of points um uh came to me the first one was you know, the validity of this panel, I think, would have been solved if you ignored, like, the main languages. So if if you ignore English, Spanish, German, um, you know, Chinese, like, um, I think that there would be an argument for, you know, here's these communities translating manga into Punjabi, uh, Urdu, um, that's spoken language, but, you know, Afrikaans, like, something like that, where it's like, here's these communities of you know, speakers who don't have officially translated manga and maybe never will, here's a group of people who are translating them. Um, and I think that would have been interesting and maybe more, at least slightly more valid. It's still technically illegal, but, you know, I think that there would be more justification there. Well, it's a new angle too. Yeah, It's yeah. just a new angle, which now that you brought it up, I, that would be actually, I would find that, a very interesting See, that that was debate. the only way i could see that being okay but i kind of see how something like this panel can get through in respect to i know yomacon just like anime north is fan run and then the other thing is probably it's a down year for them because i'm guessing this was uh, also an in-person event so not as many people and probably not as many guests and stuff like that so maybe they thought it would fly under the radar who knows but definitely something i wouldn't have been surprised about 20 years ago but in this day and age i'm kind of surprised to be honest that that can get through yeah and i think about it and, and my oh sorry jeff i cut you off no, no, go on. I'm, I was going to switch to my other point. No, I was so just thinking continue. that. I was thinking back to 20 years ago at Anime North, and even when I started helping out in the video room, that remember, uh, as Mike knows, a lot of the anime clubs in Toronto would help out and stuff like that. And when they were doing some of the video stuff, yes, we could get some legitimate uh, tapes and stuff like that from the companies and things like that. But a lot of them at that time was still fan subs and things like that. And over the years and stuff like that, we were finally able to get that out of the system. And even I was able to get that out of the system from uh, the all night and stuff like that, because I wanted legitimate like Blu-rays and DVDs 
to be shown to the people and stuff like that. And I don't want someone coming in and saying, what the heck are you doing? I didn't want the con to be shut down, right? By a company being legitimately angry and stuff like that, because they have gotten to the point where we are getting a lot of that content in English and stuff like that. But as you said, in other languages, that's still a struggle. Once again, let's just a full disclosure to the listeners out there. James is the main, one of the main programmers of the late night tracks at anime North. He, 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 he programs one of the all night tracks that you will see inside the uh, big hotel, the, what is it called these days? Uh, I can't. Double tree? Delta? Is it one of the international, <laughs> international rooms or whatever? But yes, it, it oh, is yeah. at the uh, double, whatever the double tree is called now. It's the Delta something or other. They might change their name next yeah, year so... by the time we go to it. But uh, <laughs> I think it's like international <laughs> wonder sign. But yeah, for at least the last, I want to say 12, 14, like I've been all in on making sure everything is legitimate that's going in there and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which obviously way back when it's like, it was harder to do and stuff like that. Okay. Jeff, what yeah. did you want to say? And the, the other, um, the other sort of main thing that uh, jumped out at me was when, uh, you know, Kevin was mentioning that, you know, some people won't even use the Shonen Jump app that's free or cheap, um, like ridiculously cheap. And, you know, I think, Mike, you brought up the fact that there are a couple, you know, uh, uh, systems or platforms that are trying to bring things together. But, you know, all these companies are are not going to, you know, play ball like something like, you know, even Netflix, which would which is still lacking certain shows from certain companies, etc. And the sort of solution that came to mind, because I was thinking, like, is there a possibility to make all these companies play ball? And the only thing that came to mind, and this is unlikely to happen, but if the North American library system got their act together and there was some sort of limited rental system for, for digital manga where, you know, kind of like how they do the digital holds now where it's still somewhat limited. Um, or Hoopla for that matter. Yeah, like I, th- I think that that's the only way that you could do it if you could have it sort of as this, you know, public good, this is free like i'm not sure like it would still give the companies money from the library's purchasing end but like i think that that's the only way at least in the medium future that there's even a potential for you know manga from lots of different companies to come in one space um aside from that i think we're going to be stuck in the wild west yeah that that's a dream yeah. interesting say, well, that's right? an interesting it's a good it's interesting I, idea. I, as i said i like that i it's an interesting idea Obviously, there's things to work out. I, I just can't dismiss it. I just like that idea. It's so, reliant on too. individuals. It's reliant on individuals actually requesting the library to buy these things because the library will usually listen to requests, physical or digital. Like if I go on the Toronto Public Library right now, like I could borrow Doro Hedero digitally if I so choose to. Who knows? But it, it just depends, right? Like, it's just that it's interesting when I tell people, oh, like, I borrow manga from the library or I borrow video games from the library and I just get this blank stare that, like, oh, really? You could do that? I'm like, yeah. 
Like, yeah, and if and people don't well, know, I, I right? Mean, I, will, still I will. And remember, I I push people to the hoopla. Like, there's there's some interesting anime features. G Kids does give a good chunk of its library to hoopla, so it's worth checking out. It's it's like, a matter of you, promotion uh, the, in the end. Hmm? It's a matter of promotion. Yeah, it's that old Steam yeah. and, argument, and, and, right? Where it, it's a service problem. Lots of good martial. Hey, you'll see, you'll see lots of uh, was it Go USA? Um, the uh, distributor of the Ip Man movies that Donnie Yen starred in. He's done a bunch of other stuff. There's a lot of good martial arts movies you can find. A lot of good Asian foreign films you will find on Hoopla. I, I feel like we're forgetting the, the ultimate issue here is the overall laziness of everyone i mean i don't want to change website i go to i go to the site it has all the stuff why would i want to and that's what they said. A free it's, service it's a, it's a yeah, service that's... issue is they've said it's getting, like they just want that all in one solution whatever is the simplest they'll do whatever but even if it'll affect uh, their are, computer right those they'll are some viruses. of my friends <laughs> yeah those are some of my friends in a nutshell they just they already use a service that has almost everything and so they don't want to go somewhere else if if these piracy sites want to up their moral game, I think they should upload uh, videos of manga artists uh, showing their assistants in the studios uh, with arm cramps, and then showing their <laughs> their hungry children, you know, only getting ramen noodles. And you know, you have to watch a and five minute video, and then you and can access the pirated <laughs> video of manga. Oh boy! But it's going back to that panel and stuff like that. Some of it. Uh, there are some interesting people out there and we've seen it also remember in the video ga- game space as well that people have some very I don't know how to even describe it either firm or kind of wild ideas and they just throw it out there and you're like really? Yeah. And their minds won't be changed right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Let's uh, I guess let's go through the other aspects of the of the chat. Anything else? I think the last one you mentioned I know Mo, I know the Mo royal family, to... right? If... Okay. Well, let's talk the royal family, and then I know Mo wants to talk. Mo does have something to say on streaming services right after, and we'll end off our our, our, our recap, our look back on the space here chat. Royal family. Okay, your talk, your thoughts, and then mine, uh, James. Yeah. No, I I saw we if we uh, post the one I was looking at the CBC one in regards to uh, Princess Mako, and it was interesting too that because of the issue uh, with her um, now husband and stuff like that, uh, K. Uh, Kumo, uh, was it uh, Kumuro? Kumuro. That uh, another thing we found out, and because we never really hear about it in other royal families, and because if the female marries someone outside, they actually get a payment for leaving the royal family, and she supposedly decided to not accept that she because. It of quote-unquote criticism and it was about 1.5 million canadian 140 million yen but it's interesting that they're giving that payment it's interesting that this drama happened over not either one of them specifically but because of um her uh, new husband's uh mother and supposedly they were saying something about uh it was his mother received uh, from her former fiance, whether it was either a loan or a gift, it, it was gift. It was very weird. Like probably we would have to be Japanese and understand the greater, like, I guess meanings behind it, but it seems like very odd that it would cause this much tension. And there's so, 
From our standpoint, yeah, as outsiders and non-Japanese and maybe Westerners who probably saw, you know, the whole Thomas Markle thing going on with the with the British royal family. Like we have our own, we probably have to juxtapose what we've observed already in Britain with what happened in happened to Mako and Komoro-san. And I feel like they take right. it to another level almost. Like they have to almost suffer. It feels like there's some suffering in silence. And we've heard that, especially with the female side, because as you pointed out, Mike, they, unlike other royal families where they have tons of heirs to spare, even in uh, England, they have tons to spare. Supposedly Japan, because, because well, part- of it being a male only line and very patriarchal. Mm-hmm. The line is very thin and they're very like on, okay, you better be producing a male heir. And it's like been very stressful on a lot of these people yeah, were and- shouldn't have been that way. And then even when they started talking about maybe allowing females to ascend to the throne and stuff like that, once a male uh, was born, it's like, okay, let's forget about that. When they should have actually been thinking about making it similar to other royal families and even the English the Commonwealth for us, for the royal well, family, and, they yeah, have been British they... even more because remember, it used to be kind of uh, skewed to the male as well. That, say, for example, uh, as we have heard about, like uh, Princess Charlotte, if, um, for example, she had been born first instead of uh, Prince George, she actually wouldn't have ascended, it would have been George originally because they preferred males. But then all of the Commonwealth countries got together and said, no, this isn't right, and made it that in the future that the line of succession is not determined by sex. It's like, okay, you came It'll first, It'll be determined get by the eldest. Mm-hmm. It'll be determined by the eldest, and that's, well, Queen Elizabeth is in, in that scenario, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It probably was a tough thing because they had to go all tell the commonwealth countries because remember the queen for queen elizabeth is the head of uh, quite a few uh, countries just like it is for us in canada but for japan you would think it would be easier to sort this out but as you said there's i guess a lot of conservative and hardline uh, people there that mm-hmm. i guess have this mm-hmm. firm belief and i'm not sure if it's the firm belief as we talked about from world war ii where they believe the emperor is like a god right and stuff like right. that. And we, remember, uh, and it never used to be outside and see the people. And then after World War II with the U.S., they put him out there and said, okay, you are the emperor of the people. And like he was out there seeing people and people had never seen the emperor before, remember. And it's like, oh my God, yeah. he's just well, like us. couple things in what you just said. One, first of all, I I made uh, I, I re-listened to the Space Heater chat and I kept referring to the Empress as Masato. And I, I I have to apologize. I know she'll never listen to this, but I apologize to anybody who knows I got this wrong. It's Masako. So I just to put that out there now. Thank you for that, man. I was I was I was like fuming when I heard that, man. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> second. <laughs> second I, I, I always, uh, it was always lost on me what their daughter, what Masako's daughter and 
Nar- Naruhito's daughter's name is. It's uh, Princess Aiko. And when she was born, and she's about to turn 20, by the way. Yeah, the, the, that, that talk did happen. That talk about her uh, uh, letting the secession run through her. That talk happened. And then, just as James mentioned, it, it was silenced the second Hisahito was born. Right? Uh, to, uh, to Fumihito. And the third thing is... And I mentioned the hardliners, those hard, those hardliners that had that mentality, and from World War II that probably are, are still prevalent today in Japan. And trust me, do not kid yourself; that mentality is very much there. And I'm sure there's a pocket of that uh, when it comes to the, to the British royal family as well. The irony about that thinking is, you, I, I tend to think. And I, I get the feeling uh, I, I'm pretty sure of this. Although, I'm, so I want to hear if there's a disagreement. Who knows more about this? The irony is the first person, one of the first people who would probably disagree with that thinking that the emperor should be absolute and should always it should always be that way is probably the emperor. And we had talked that, about that whether before, be, Mike. With the we've had that. Yeah, whether whether it was for whether it was Akihito or Naruhito now. That's what I find the irony of that thinking. Because And I can't as I said, the like the like because Shinzo Abe is along that thinking. I uh, like he, he's along at least along that line. And so he would have that thinking, but he probably would have butted heads in many had a lot of disagreements with with um with Akihito and Naruhito, especially Akihito. But the irony is that that he needed the emperor emperor for his own legitimacy in the role as prime minister. It's just one of those weird give and takes. Just just uh, looking at it from my from our standpoint here outside of Japan. Okay, sorry, sorry. Uh, now I'm getting too far. No, ahead. I was thinking, James. Uh, you have I was thinking about. I can't remember if it was uh, Mako or her sister Keiko. I thought it was Mako because after she did university and stuff like that, she went uh, to England and did uh, some studies there. And I believe she worked in a museum. And it was kind of like freeing and stuff like that because not as many people, of course, knew her. And it's like maybe there was the was expat yeah, community. It was but if that was the case and i'm remembering correctly it's her then hopefully uh her and Kay will uh have a nice life together in new york because i feel like new New york York. city they'll be able to kind of hopefully blend in and you know what i mean it's going to be expensive but Mm -hmm. i'm sure they have other uh funds in that uh, unless they go to new jersey and as they said he was studying to be a lawyer so hopefully they have a better and happier life away from uh, the craziness there and stuff like that you know what i mean because it's kind of crazy all the voices and stuff like that talking about their marriage and saying this wasn't the right thing and who knows what right Mm -hmm. well once again when you say all that it, it reminds me of that first minute in the around the time around the time uh Naruhito's uh, ascension was completed. They did a documentary on him on NHK World. And the first minute of that documentary featured him, I think, 
meeting, talking, taking selfies with other with strangers in Denmark because he was he was there for a conference. People didn't know who he was, and then he and he was speaking in perfect English with uh, with one person saying, you know, um, like one tourist was talking with him and she was joking with him. Oh, they said there was somebody very important. Uh, a big celebrity inside staying in our hotel, and that would explain all the security. He said, and then Naruhito just do- joked with her. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not a not that type of celebrity, and she just <laughs> she just laughed and said, "No, no, it's okay, it's quite okay. Actually, it's bigger than that." And then they showed off some of the selfies he took that day. But that's not going to happen anymore. With for him, for sure. Well, of course, but I guess that's the big thing too is that. Some of these people, you wonder about them that I guess are more hardline. And I think of it as a monarchist. Yes, I'm a monarchist. And yes, I respect the institution. But you know what? You also have to respect the people in the institution, too, as well, because they're people as well. And they're actually born into that role. They didn't actually have a choice. So you should actually have a respect for the person as well and not be like going full on on some of these things because you're just destroying the thing that quote-unquote you love right if they really care about Mm -hmm. the monarchy yeah and i think that's the sentiment of most people in japan is this one of those cases where those that really dissent will made them made themselves way more known yeah the louder minority is speaking up as you would say right Mm -hmm. and as i said but remember remember the phrase i said that defined the the emperor the symbol of the state the unity of the people and boy this is this was anything but 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 it's just a sad amount of responsibility to place on somebody who we know no matter what no matter what she will not ascend to the throne because that's just the way the institution is set up she should make a Twitch stream. You know, well, she's a commoner. It's a, it's up to her. Yeah, man. Day in the life. World's of her life. oyster. World, world, world really is her oyster in that sense now. Day in the life of a former princess. You know. Yeah, she'll probably be smiling through most of it. Oh, you're saying and it's going to be, be uh, like uh, Harry and Meghan? They're going to make a Netflix deal? Oh yeah. Well, there's your Oh. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well. I mean, they they can okay. do this. They can do some kind of uh, you know sequel to whatever they're doing right now maybe have netflix involved you know well we, we're gonna talk netflix in a bit and you know it's, it could be a great idea for netflix japan on that note mo yeah. did you want to say something concerning any streaming service that i brought up in, uh, towards the end oh no no i mean uh, i was gonna say something about the um region exclusivity of certain things be released on certain Streaming services and whatnot, but I'm like, eh, whatever. Do you hold any curiosity in what's about to come to Crave? I mean... Because I, uh, I think I think that HBO Asia stuff is now there. I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't really been on Crave that long, I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's just, I, hmm. Yeah, okay. I mean, it, well, what's your take on what's your take on re, on the rejigging of the of the tiers? So the ten dollar tier is not it includes movies again. It now includes HBO. It I, didn't before, but you can only use it on a mobile device. It's 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 
they're just nickel and diming us, you know? Like, we're, we're, we're getting to that point in streaming services where there's just going to be too many of them and they're all going to be costing too much that we're all just going to go back to piracy, man. Well, and rather quietly, Netflix, I think, raised its price a dollar on me. So did, so did Disney, so did so did a lot of them, and it's kind of mm-hmm. kind of upsetting. I mean, it's, it's you're so just... I, you're, I, yeah, no, go 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 ahead, Jeff. Just I saw an ad for for Disney Plus today, and it was like first month dollar or one dollar ninety nine, and it's like that's all you're giving is like not even f- a, a week free, not even like a month free, but like oh, you're so lucky you get to to pay us a small amount, and well, that's right because it used one to month. be one month free. It used to be one month free. Hmm. You're right. You know, not anymore, right? Remember, guys. You don't have to subscribe indefinitely if you don't want to. Yeah, that's the other part, right? I thought uh, in Quebec there were rules and stuff like that where you had to give a certain trial period or something to that effect. No, it's more like you're not allowed to do that, but yes, you're not allowed to give the trial period. You're not allowed to give the trial period, the free month. Because mm-hmm. I think they don't. They, oh, the they just don't like that negative option, the negative option billing, right? It was, I think, entrenched into into the provincial law there. But if you subscribe with them, they'll give you 13 months instead of 12. Okay. Well, is there anything else? That's about it. I think that's that's most of the time. Most of the Space Heater chat. Unless you have something else. And I guess... Well, let's, let's get to some of the actual more recent stuff of the last week. As I said, it's the first month we're back, but... This week was dominated by Netflix in many different angles. And I think I want to go through those those various angles, so to speak. I just don't know where we want to start. Do we want to start with the uh, their Anime Fest 2021? Do we want to talk about... I was thinking we could you know, the talk other about stuff, Asian uh, stuff. maybe them promoting uh, Asian titles and anime and then work on to what they announced uh, asia specific uh, after that i think that makes sense okay which one all right you you started off and then maybe i'll jump in okay like which 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 angle do you so want i know uh, that uh, start, uh, this one was it. from tiffcom uh, online and netflix was there uh, talking about uh, their different uh, i guess titles and things like that and they were talking anime they were talking um Asian content, and one of them I know was in regards to uh, Kata Sakamoto, which was the vice president of content at Netflix Japan, and he was with another uh, person from Netflix talking about uh, their Asian expansion and how it's been successful, especially in light of uh, Squid Game, if we haven't been under a rock, right? So they talked about three essential parts of their strategy was content choosing and conversation. And it was interesting, like they talk about content, of course, choosing and investing in the right teams. And we've already talked about that, about what the money they've put in and the committees uh, and animation studios they've went through. The choosing, uh, sorry, the conversation they said is trying to engage, I guess, with uh, their customers through social media so they get a more word of mouth appeal. And I'm not sure how and, that's and worked. A I think it's worked that, on and a VTuber game, right? for that matter. Well, when you talk about Squid Game, that's sort of more the um, 
the choosing part of it, but that's like that involves the algorithm. And that's where the last part conversation happens, where they talk about the algorithm again and how obviously it's a little more advanced than saying something like Funimation or Crunchyroll, as we know. And they talk about um, how, for example, Squid Game, actually, they talked about Alice in Borderland which is a manga, an OVA animation, and then live-action TV show. And so they were talking about the live-action TV show they had. And they said for that one, if you had watched that, you would be recommended uh, Japanese TV show, TV shows based on manga, suspenseful TV shows. So if you had watched something with those um, parameters, you would get something else. And maybe it would be something Asian live-action or anime or something like that. And so... As they said, Squid Game, because it exploded, Alice in Borderland was one of the ones that got a benefit. And there were some others because of Japanese TV shows or Asian TV shows. I should have said Japanese because I know Squid Game is Korean, so sorry about that. But uh, it would have had similar like headers, right? And Alice in Borderland supposedly got a spike in viewers because of Squid Game, even though it had, had launched like way uh, before, like nine months before and stuff like that. And you can see that and how they do uh, their binge model and stuff like that, even though I know some people are very unhappy with the fact that they want to see their content week to week. And they're unhappy with that, with the new JoJo and with other things that uh, Netflix has announced, of course. And they rather be on that model, even though, Netflix, I guess, is on their own model that, I guess, works for them, right? It's, yeah, yeah, I guess. It's, I don't know what what to add to that, really. I mean, their their line, what stuck out out in some of the articles I read uh, about it all this week is where Netflix actually sits in terms of its popularity within Japan itself and that Amazon prime does better right now in Japan. It's somewhere, but just so you know who they're up against. I think it's number four in, in, in Japan, but it's, it's one of those cases where Amazon actually is, uh, is ahead of them. To be fair, Japanese Amazon is incredible. That's what I was thinking yeah. is that with <laughs> Amazon in Japan and where it is on as an e-commerce platform, probably a lot of them are like, hey, I'm getting Prime. I'm getting my stuff from Amazon. Plus, they're giving me this stuff for streaming and stuff like that. So it's kind of like that all-in-one package sort of deal, you think. So you could see why they would be number one. Like, say, for example, if Yahoo way back when had done something similar in Japan, stuff like that, they could have been number one. Who knows? As we know. Well, they're still. I think they're still a top, uh, top e-commerce platform in Japan, at least. Mm-hmm. Plus, so, plus, it's cheaper. That too. So, is there's like a bunch of little angles we can take on this? Like all the fo- their missed their focus. People criticizing where their focus is right now. I think that's where you were at with that. With all that, James. So, how much do we want to get into this now, then? Like, I looked at some of the titles. A lot of them look to be continuations of things I've already done. 
a little bit more of a focus on features seemingly. Just, and just to be clear, some of these features that are that that were rifled off being successful in recent times, they're really it's just them picking up the rights, picking up distribution rights. Kenshin is the one that sticks out to me because the only part of it that was Netflix that was really involved involved Netflix itself was it being distributed, but really not much in the as far as I could tell, nothing really in the in the production that was well on the way. The Netflix thing was a more recent development in terms of Kenshin. And it just sucks right now that the other, the original three movies in that series aren't available on Netflix still, because that's still funny. Well, that's what happens when rights uh, go back and forth. But it's interesting, the Alice in Borderland that I was looking uh, just now, and that was one of the ones they had at their little festival because they announced a season two for that stating that it would be in 2022 and they it was interesting they had a lot of mix between uh live action and anime and there was another one similar to what you said where they announced something that someone else had already had like they were talking about tiger and bunny 2 premiering episodes on netflix and stuff like that and remember season one i believe was with this even though i know they streamed it uh on other platforms of course Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I, just going back a little bit, another thought that came to my head. Um, looking for universe, like themes that are that would resonate and be fairly universal. I think that was part of it. Stories with a universal theme will transcend borders to inspire people anywhere. This is not only true for Japanese and Korean titles. This is why Netflix puts importance on each country's authentic storytelling. Quote unquote. That was uh, from Sakamoto. Remember. Squid Games uh, feels has a lot of themes that were similar to to Parasite a couple years back, and I think like the class divide seems to be a thing in a lot of that that's become popular in Korean in Korean stories, at least the ones that have uh, started to resonate outside of Korea. And I, I although I I'll, although I'm I'm now being told this is a very Asian thing, and and I guess as time goes, it'll be. A universal thing really is. Sorry, go ahead. I, I do think that that class divide and that um, kind of, I guess, unique uh, premise or angle is something that uh, made Squid Game, you know, stand out and is going to probably, at least the first season, going to, you know, probably make it something that people are going to mention and talk about um, going forward. You know, as far you know, just the comparison. I think many people are probably going to make due to the Netflix algorithm with Alice in Borderland. I think that that was a fine show. It was good, but it was comparably a, a little bit more generic and a little bit more predictable. Like I loved it when I was watching it, um, but Squid Game has that sort of more grounded kind of like, oh, oh, this is this is the real world, isn't it? Um, versus, you know, Alice in Borderland is a little bit more fanciful and science fiction and, you know, for lack of better words, anime. Um, and I think, you know, that that kind of slow um, approach. Anyways, the, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is that I do recommend people check out Alice in Borderland if you like Squid Game and you're looking for, you know, that kind of, you know, genre. Like, I don't think a lot of the, the normies are going to get into the 
Danganronpa visual novel or even go back to watch Battle Royale, but I think Alice in Borderland probably is going to be something that might be accessible to them and still interesting. That's right, kids. In algorithm, you should trust. You know, there was a good algorithm I saw years ago, Mike, and thinking of Battle Royale, that one of those, and I think it was the main store in Toronto, I'm not sure if it was, it must have been an employee in there where they have the employees recommend a book, and they had like stacks on this one wall of Battle Royale there, because an employee said, this is something you should read. The old algorithm. And yes, you say that. I look at the copy of uh, I have the soft cover copy I have of it on my shelf from years ago, and that was and their. It, it, I guess was that the that was the reissue. So I guess that's the second version they did. That's the one I. I have the original one. I do have the original one I as well. I, I ended up getting the second one when it went on a deep sale or something like that because I can't remember what okay. was done with that one, but I don't think I think they touched it up with the translation and. They did a few other things, maybe added to the end or whatever. Who knows? No, if, hey, if you read both, and you can tell me the difference. Well, as we found out from Netflix, people have talked about that, right? About what is translation. No. Oh. Okay, do we want to go into that or just save that for another time? No, no. Well, we've, we've had we'll, our. We'll take. save that for another time. It's just, Be, it's just we've, like we're, we're beating a lot of. We're good at beating dead horses here, you know. We're the professional horse beaters. Thank you. Well, speaking of that, um, the, you know, you mentioned, you know, relatable themes and international appeal. Um, and I think what is, what is more appealing to everyone than the uh, reboot of the late 90s, early 2000s classic Shaman King, the second volume of which was announced uh, to begin on December 9th. So everyone get hey, excited, which I is you are. Dr. Stone's catchphrase, another shonen manga. But anyways, yes. Okay, let's talk. All right, titles. Do we want to go through any of these titles? Any of the so titles mentioned, or should we just talk about the ones? To, we can just talk about some of the ones they went through quickly. Like, I know Therme Roman, the new one, we've talked about that, and they said it's finally going to be out there uh, in 2022, and that was an anime announced. They talked about a sequel to Ghost in the Shell, and then they talked about different new uh, shows that they were developing straight for their platform. I think they had a partnership with Studio Wit for Vampire in the Garden uh, anime, which is supposed to be 2022. And then they talked about another horror anime, Exception, which is in 2022, that uh, they had done. And then they've just went to things that have done well for them. Like I think Agretzko is supposedly going to continue, I guess, because they announced a fourth season for that premiering in December. And they talked about JoJo's, I guess. Sorry? Real Akuman, I think, was mentioned. Real, uh, I think it's pronounced Real Akuman. Real Akuman, yeah. Real Akuman. Yeah. 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 Relax, Bear. Somebody's going to kill me on, yeah, on the mispronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> Almost, without, without fail, somebody I know is going to kill me on the pronunciation. So, I, I think um, there was some minor... Just know that I may leave soon. <laughs> I think there was Sorry, some, wasn't, wasn't there some like minor controversy with uh, Gretzko about it appealing too much to Americans or something? Was it? I don't Was know. There... Huh. I don't know. I, I, I saw some article about that and they used a Gretzko as the, the, <laughs> the banner. So, you know, maybe it was just to attract, attract people. Um, I'm glad a Gretzko but, but, is going to keep going. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's part of the Sanrio umbrella, right? Yeah, the Sanrio yeah. Uh, angle. 
and and I guess and that's well I mean there's a there's there's a worldwide appeal to most things Sanrio. So I I I I really wouldn't know why we would have a beef there. Because this might have been by design, anyway. Uh, sorry, James. Go I ahead. I was thinking, like, you have them talking about December first uh, debut for uh, JoJo's Bavar- Bizarre Adventure Part Six, Stone Ocean, stuff like that. And I'm thinking about JoJo's again, how it's become so popular now. And at the very turn of this century, they were trying their damnedest, Viz and everyone, to sell that, just like they were trying to sell Ito manga, and they couldn't do it worth their damned. And now we live in a world yep. where both of those can be sold to people and people are gobbling them up on major platforms hmm. even. Well, times change. Just like yep. Halloween. You know what the other one changed? Mm-hmm. Now we can say the last one is it's a 2023 title they were talking about, but they're going to do a live action Yu Yu Hakusho, supposedly. Mm, so. Yes. Well, oh. you know, they're... You know, there's nothing like live action anime. Can't beat it. Exactly. Well, I heard uh, there that, was uh, another one, big one they talked about, right? The uh, oh, yeah. the old the old, okay. old pirate king. Yeah, was that? <laughs> I think that was the part of the same uh, thing, wasn't it? Or was that a separate one they just part announced the online? I couldn't remember. But it is on Netflix. Okay, now. what do you? Okay, what do? Yeah, and recap for me. What's uh you uh not what Saints? Did did they put a date on Saint Seiya? I, I forgot now. I believe not, right? They we still don't have I mean, it's done, right? It from what I understand, but I could be wrong. Okay. Oh, okay, so let's go through the live action, the Netflix anime live actions. One Piece, just quickly. Impressions. Just quickly? I, I don't even like One Piece, and it's the, at least that all that much. Well, I, and I'm it's, not it's into, the most I, prominent, I, I, popular manga in Japan in the last 20 years or whatever. <laughs> oh, let's just quickly go over this uh, this Netflix One Piece thing. Okay, so what do, well, the, the, because I preface it with, okay, I I never got into One Piece either. And yeah, it's 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 the big talk. So, I, I but I don't know what to make of the cast announcement. The one thing, the only name that, and because I'm not familiar with the characters, but I am familiar with one name on this, only because, well, he has an association with a Kenshin movie, Makenyu, who will play um, Rorona. Zoro. Zoro is going to be fun to watch if that's the case. And I've we we mentioned. I know he was in Kenshin the Final. He played Inishi in that. I'd imagine that was pretty good. I've yet to see it, just for reference. And I don't know how many know this. But his father was rather famous, too. Okay, you know who... I've mentioned to you who his father is. Because his father made news a couple months ago when he passed away of COVID. Makenyu is the son of Sonny Chiba. Hmm. So there's pred- pedigree, at least in uh, quite a bit of this, this cast. I, I don't know what to make of the rest of the casting. And yeah, people are already judging them just 
on the headshots that were put on the uh, in the promotions. Yeah, on the posters and that. But they're that. not in they're not in costume. But they're already being judged on their appearance. So that's they don't he doesn't look like that's like, fandom for you. Yeah, it's fandom for you. Yeah, yeah, like Yeah, Godoy looks nothing like Luffy. Well they haven't had a chance to really make him look like Luffy yet either. Also, Oda's art isn't really suitable for direct translation to humans from the real world, to be fair. But yeah, and that's just uh, that's what I was gonna say. Some of... people are gonna say you can't make a live action uh, of said series because it just was never meant to be, right? Well, but it, it is a more a more free, you know, cartoony, for lack of a better word, art style, right? So it's it's going to be a little bit jarring, you know, compared to you know a more realistically drawn series. Like I don't think if if Yu Yu Hakusho gets its its um, show or movie out the door, I think that. It will. The characters will, pro- will probably be a little bit more closer, at least comparison to One Piece. Um, regarding the One Piece cast, the the thing that uh, jumped out of me that I saw a little bit of discussion on um, Twitter is the fact that I think it was um, months ago. Um, okay, it was years ago actually. Um, they had an interview with Oda and he, they, someone asked him like, oh, what nationalities do you think the One Piece cast would be if they were real people? Um, and as far as the first five, uh, he said for Luffy, Brazil, for Zoro, Japan, for Nami, Sweden, for Usopp, he said Africa, and for Sanji, he said France. Um, so I saw some mild slash the people who were upset were very upset controversy that for Luffy, for Luffy um, the actor is Mexican descent. And I think he might actually be a Mexican actor. Um, Zoro, I guess they nailed it with Japan. Um, for Nami and... Japanese American, at least. Yeah. For, for Nami and Usopp, um, they're both American. So Sweden and Africa um, didn't really apply. And I think Sanji is um, British and Arabic. Um, I think I read from the Canary Islands. Um, but all that being said, I think that it is still kind of neat that they got an international cast for this. Like, I think that's, you know, they did that a little bit. Well, for ethnicities, they did that for Cowboy Bebop. But, you know, for One Piece, I think it's impressive that at least to some degree, they're they're at least trying to, you know, have that um, at least... Um, you know, ethnic diversity, like it didn't match and match his off the cuff remark. And I think, you know, I don't, well, you're, I, wasn't I, I, I know that, that yeah, like I know that, Bra- I know that Brazil isn't Mexico. Like, I don't want to discount that. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of problems with, you know, people thinking all people from Latin American are, are Mexican and things like that. Like that is a serious problem. Um, but I think it is still great that they, they seem to, you know, look at what he said, and I'm sure Oda Oda seems thrilled with this. He he drew them all pictures on a T-shirt. Um, all the cast seems really excited. I I checked out Nami's actor's Twitter, and she just changed her profile picture and banner to all Nami stuff. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that these people are excited. Like this is you know for a lot of them a huge you know break. Like even if it's bad which i don't think it will be at the it will not be dragon ball evolution bad i think that the jet the japanese licensing industry has learned their lesson there it's funny I'm because not that's what people that, said it, it, about a creator being involved, sorry right 
Yeah, like, I'm not saying it will be good, but I think even Death Note was better than Dragon Ball Evolution. They're going to run it through the uh, the Netflix machine, you know? So it won't be terrible, but it won't be amusing. Well, Oda <laughs> is involved, as we know, so I'm sure he'll have some say on, like, other creators that haven't had as much luck, right? And, and it must be noted that the scriptwriter was is a One Piece fan as well. So there will be some some care. Matt Owens is the uh, is the head writer for this, and Owens is a One Piece fan. Much like Cowboy Bebop, I'm mostly concerned about like the sets and the environments. Like I'm, I'm pretty confident in these actors. Like they all seem great for the roles. Um, I, it seems like the team behind it is solid, but I don't know if there's the budget or the um, ambition to create One Piece's world, which, you know, I'm not a personal fan of, but I respect a whole lot the the sort of creativity and and color and um, the weirdness, like the the weird mer people, the uh, the horrible snail phones, like the you know very strange animals and people and environments. Even more so than Cowboy Bebop, I'm very nervous about the production value more than anything the real question is are we going to have cigarettes or lollipops that's the question oh wow yeah, yeah, okay. a combination of some kind of cigarette. <laughs> and when they do the promo video just like uh cowboy bebop are they going to do it right maybe incite a few riots but have the one piece rap <laughs> oh wow okay those are actually interesting questions owns the rights to the one piece rap but uh it's oh, it's kind oh, of wow. funny thinking on it we'll have to wait obviously a while before we see how it turns out with one piece because obviously they're further in production but once we see the meat on the bone it'll be interesting to see how it goes but I'm sure maybe we will see love just like we saw for uh, Cowboy Bebop because I know people had their say on all the stuff we've seen so far, but I don't think anyone can disagree that there isn't a lot of love for Cowboy Bebop when you see all the different teasers and trailers and interviews from actors and stuff like that from that uh, and the people creating it for the live action. Yes. And the fact that in the case of Cowboy Bebop, the Japanese voices did return. Will that happen with One Piece? Yeah, probably. Is that a possibility with One <laughs> I Piece? I think they would do I it. See it. I think they would do that. It would definitely help, I think, market it to to the Japanese audience. It might help. It might help the marketing period. Because, because, like, tell me. And now we're transitioning to the Cowboy Bebop talk. Tell me how many people, how many non-Japanese. English speakers will be more interested in watching the Japanese dub of the live-action Cowboy Bebop than its original language, quote-unquote. Because that I, I could see a lot of cases there. Any other series, I could see it almost being the majority, but I think Cowboy Bebop has one of the most beloved, if possibly overhyped English dubs of all time. So I think that 
you know, at least in North America, some fans will probably stick with English just because they don't have that at- attraction or that connection with the Japanese cast, especially in the U.S., since it aired on TV. Hmm. Okay. All right, so on that note, we are less than a week away from the debut of the Cowboy Bebop live action. Is anybody really excited? Hey, we, we're not going to talk about... Uh... The, the other Netflix news, no? Oh, wait, what is it? Okay, we'll go back to Cowboy. robots that go pew-pew, uh, Mo? I mean, obviously, okay. right? The pew-pew robots. Oh, that's right, then, then. Okay, what do you want to say there? I, like, I, I, I think it looks pretty cool. I mean... I haven't I have not seen it. It's just that image, it's one image, like a concept image, not even a real image. And, and, and we're talking the live-action the live action <laughs> content. And unfortunately, so, they have, like, the one-upmanship because they have, uh, was it, Legendary uh, is working with them, I believe. So with sunrise and that, to get hopefully, that hopefully the effects will be okay. Fingers it, crossed it, the effects. Is it based on the first or seed? I heard murmurs about seed, but I don't know what that was all about. Yo, that'd be great. That'd be really good if it was, if it was based on seed, but it's not. I think they're doing the original series. I that, just, I just that makes the most sense. I, I just I'm I'm curious as to the the way they're gonna portray the Earth Federation and the uh, the, the Zap forces, like that divide, which is crucial to you know. Gundam and so forth. I want to see how they, what what language they use for that. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> are we talking Democrats Republican kind of situation? Like, what's going on here? I, I hope this is seen um, where, like, if you if anyone's seen Bumblebee, um, John Cena has a line where he's like, "They're called Decepticons." Are you kidding me? They're, they're the villains. I hope someone in the Gundam show like looks up at like the Zaku, which are these like tanks with one glowing red eye, and then looks over at like the shining white American flag Gundam thing. And it's like they're, they're clearly the villains. What, what's happening here? Why, why would you design your your mecha tanks like villains? <laughs> okay, yeah, it's absolutely. <laughs> they're wearing black. I have to tell you, the real <laughs> question is if they can make it successful and make people uh, actually care about Gundam, then hey, maybe we can get a Garzy Wing uh, live action as well. Why not? Off the books. Kevin, what do you have a thought? Sounds like he wants to say something. Well, from what I read quickly from people commenting on the ANN article and elsewhere, it seems like they may adapt uh, UC Gundam. Like they, It may be an adaptation of sorts of the original Gundam because people were saying that it like the background that that still shot that they're using is could be reminiscent of a scene from 0079 so I'd be down for that Hmm. kicking it old school I guess do we have a release date for that yes I believe it's the fourth of never Yeah, they said it was, as we said, when they say concept, they are very uh, early in, as they say, right? Right. That's like the other one I saw. (laughs) It'll air first in development hell and other regions to follow. Well, okay, so what do you think? Okay, so what's more likely? This or Netflix picking up the rights to a live action Aikira? Oh, dude. Thank you very much. That's good. That's good. <laughs> okay. But I was thinking about 
uh, another one there, Mike, since we were talking live action, and it wasn't related to Netflix, but it was Gantz. Because remember, we were talking about creators and stuff like that, and Gantz's creator, uh, Hiroya Oku, like, tweeted out, because it had just came out and said, oh, by the way, Gantz, the live action is uh, moving ahead and stuff like that, and they still don't have a firm date. And that was from, I guess, the person that's going to direct it, Julius uh, Avery, that I guess supposedly did Overlord and uh, Son of a Gun and stuff like that. But uh, that's uh, probably in the same timeline as uh, the previous uh, Gundam movie we talked about where they don't know when it's going to happen. But I thought it was funny about Oku, the creator, saying he had no idea this was still going on. Like he had given his rights Mm -hmm. away and he's like, wait, this is happening because people were asking him about it. So it makes you wonder about some of these, uh, I guess, live action deals and things like that, right? Sometimes, yeah. Hey, there's your there's your next Dragon Ball, probably. Okay, let, all right. Before we end the end the topic and then start uh, the home stretch tonight, back to Cowboy Bebop. Do we want to say anything else about it before the premiere, or just we'll talk about it next episode after we've seen a few, almost surely seen an episode or two of it. I mean, I'm I'm getting more and more curious as we approach approach next Friday, especially since um, about the only anime I've been watching is the odd episode of the animated anime Cowboy Bebop, just to get myself curious again. But is there anything else we want to add, or we'll just talk about it on Friday uh, next week? I think most people or are getting ready just to see uh, what it looks like, right? Then hopefully... and, and probably say some creative flames for it. Oh. Do we use the word flames still? It'll be interesting to see those people, how many episodes did they watch every single episode? Because remember, it's the binge mall, so they're throwing it all out there. Will, will, they, will it be? Will it come out all at once? Is that what is that the plan, or, or will, will yeah, it be enough? Yeah, it's not, but still dump it all at once. I just yeah, well, I, I don't. So. I don't know about like the entire show. Like I, I assume they're hoping for a season two. Oh yeah, I, I think so too. And I just realized, yeah, Ed doesn't make his appearance in the anime or her appearance in the anime until episode nine, I think it is, or is it? Yeah, I think it's, it's nine. I think it's it's very likely that Ed will be like a last episode teaser to get people to hopefully hope for slash pitch for a season two to be made. Who knows? And I and remember what I said about uh, Ed's uh, voice voice actress in the Japanese version, right? She may not be available. Wait, which that was a singer one, right? Because the other one died, right? Yeah. Well, no, this is, well, the, because, um, yeah, uh, Jet, the one who played Jet passed away uh, three years ago, I believe. But, uh, yeah, the singer, the woman who played Ed, I mean, has been long if, out of the business. If there's a second season, they'll definitely get her. You know, I don't think retirement's a thing for, for Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> you need someone just show yeah, no, that would your be house and they just give you a wad of cash or something or a suitcase full of cash? I'd oh. be more... more no, I mean maybe a degree of obligation too. Like, what, 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 what made what made Yamadira and Hayashibara come back? Oh, I'm I'm pretty sure they just woke up in like a Netflix studio one morning. 
you know, after going to sleep the night before and just were forced to do it. I thought Yamadera, he they, needs they, to make all his alimony payments. Knockout! Oh, oh, wow. They had an okay. elaborate, um, you know, uh, alternate or fake room thing, like uh, with Captain America in his movie, where they... Uh, oh, yeah, you know, play, kept... kept uh, they kept... made everything look like it's the 90s and say, well, uh, come on, it's for time sure. for your recording of Cowboy Bebop. And, you know, they maybe made them drug them just enough that they believed that it was, you know, 1996 or whatever, and they had to record their lines for the anime. The, those are my favorite tropes in movies. That They did it in Mission Impossible. They did it in, like, um... Uh... Shit. Hold on. Yeah, no, they, they, did, they did that trope in Mission Impossible where it was, like, a room within a room, and it's like, you're being tricked into thinking... Yeah. Okay. I guess we'll just uh we'll talk again next next episode on that one. Okay, we're reaching I guess the home stretch. Do we want to say anything about Paul Gosser? The uh, US senator who tried to make himself look cool by using an attack on Titan video going out after his uh, his opponent. I think Overall, me and you, Mike, were probably thinking the same thing because we had talked about, of course, Matt Alt's book, uh, Invention, so many times, right? And it kind of put into focal point that last chapter yet again, right? Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, while First Blush says this is outrageous, which, yeah, I, I, at the... I I I I don't I didn't care for it either. It will hit an audience. Like there is a receptive audience and it's not just generally speaking the uh, that alt right. It remember we've talked had had this conversation before about fandom in the alt right. Guess who was applauding there? And I guess some of it is these young staffers, right? And this meme culture and stuff like yeah, that. This, this, yeah, it, it, it's just when you think about it, this isn't... Like, to me, it's just, it isn't as left field as, as a lot of people found it. A, a lot of others would have found it. But I it. guess we probably should explain what exactly we're talking about. Because I know it did hit uh, some mainstream media, of course. It was on CBC and other uh, stations and of course we put the cbc article along with the princess mako article Mm -hmm. from cbc but uh well hey what can i say um but this one i know it's kind of weird but yeah they used i guess the opening of attack on titan and they superimposed i guess faces of uh president biden and others as the titans and then i guess these are alt-right or whatever they are I guess attacking them or something like that, or them going to uh, do whatever they're doing, and it just—it's farcical well, to be honest. The That's here, all right? I can say. Yeah, and okay. it was in bad taste, and I know it was weird. Like you look at the mainstream articles, and I think everyone, like uh, AOC and all of them, had in Congress and that, they, and Nancy Pelosi and all of them had a right to be outraged, and 
all these other things are talking about free speech and you're just shaking your head like, well, you can yell that all you want. You can say something is free speech and it may be free speech. But here's the thing. At some point, even if it is free speech, you should have consequences for your actions. You can't just yell fire in a crowded room and say that that's okay. You know what I mean? Like you, there has to be real consequences for this person. And it sounds like in some of the articles I've heard is one sister and he's, I guess, representing a part of Arizona and stuff like that. So that kind of puts some puzzle pieces together. But his sister said, this guy needs some help. And he's not had any consequences. That's right. He's not had is, any consequences. That's right. And if he doesn't get consequences. It's like he just feels like he's getting way scot free and can keep on doing what he's doing, right? And that's kind of nuts. Gosser, for his part, has 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 said, "Relax, it's just a joke." Tell that to Kathy, Kathy Griffin. It has a, a very how-do-you-do-fellow-2014-kids vibe to it. Um, I do want to sort of give a perspective as, you know, I, I love anime theme songs. I've mentioned that before. Like, the anime yes. opening, I think, is a spectacular art form. And Attack on Titan's first opening it's, is... And I, it's not, isn't just an art form, sorry. is isn't just an art form. It's a, mar- it's a marketing and that too. one was a big yeah, You have to sell. For marketing on that one. You, you, you sell... Yeah. You yeah. sell your you sell your you sell your series in those ninety seconds. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. So that first opening was iconic. Like even when I was in Japan in 2013-14, it was playing on the radio all the time. But you know, aside from it being you know one of the most impactful, famous openings of the last few years, um, last decade, I suppose, almost at this point, um, it is also one that has been the most parodied online. Um, So I am definitely not defending this. I think it is, you know, bordering heinous, if not uh, heinous. But there are so many anti-Trump ones, and I'm not a fan of Trump in any respect. Um, There are, you know, World War II parodies. There are parodies um, where people are making this using just Japanese students in swimsuits. Um, it even went so far that there's an amazing parody where someone made a YouTube comment that said, you can't just make a Attack on Titan parody out of anything. And the artist took that comment and screen capped it and only used that comment and remade the Attack on Titan opening with that thin comment and it's spectacular i, I have do, shown I it in <laughs> i feel like now something kind of comes into context it's like they probably are like we just need something animated and they went to the internet and this is what the algorithm gave them i guess is this remember when when i talked um hatsukoi back in may and then i started i put a page up of every single cover i could find of that song it is. It is that. Are we about to do something like? Are we going to start this project? Are it we going to do this? Well, no. Should we do this? It's that Should times a thousand. It's no. It's that times a thousand. Like it. So, this was incredibly oh, this, prolific. Um, and the it's reason me, for that is because it's me malicious, isn't it? Yeah, because if you are trying to do an edit of this, it's like, and I use this as an example when I'm teaching film editing. Um, 
you only have maybe 20 seconds of actual animation at most. Like, I think it might even be closer to 11 seconds where it's mostly Aaron running, um, you know, those rooftop scenes and the little bit of the, um, the 3D maneuver gear um, right before the ending there. So it's easy to kind of try to put faces in there for those few seconds. Otherwise, it's a lot of still shots that you can either keep in, very simply edit, or replace with complete other footage, and it still keeps the flow and the vibe of that particular opening. So in in the parody that this man used, there's a lot of kind of fairly insensitive military footage um, and, you know, immigrant-related footage in there, but a lot of it, like, it, whoever made this is kind of a... Uh, not a necessarily a talented film editor because as i mentioned like it's it's an easy opening to to parody and edit to um but you know there's a lot of compared you know easily um i guess shot for shot you can look at the original with this and it's like oh yeah that's that's kind of a, a good shot to use there um so yeah it's 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 a fascinating um i guess story um but it's also like eight years late so <laughs> well there, and, and yet and another layer so to speak okay all right we're nearing the end because we're uh, past the 90 minute mark i think as far as i could tell so uh there's admittedly over the last month that we haven't been around around the table there's been other headlines and other items that caught our attention these are the major ones we want to talk about this week. I get the feeling we're going to do more than two episodes, more than two recordings through the rest of November. So we'll let's put those other headlines. And in many ways, it, once again, it is beating a dead horse admittedly. So maybe we'll, we'll, in many ways we'll end up revisiting a few themes that we have talked about through the pandemic series in a future episode. But uh, something else that we also liked to do during the pandemic series is go through the anime community calendar, or at least the things that are coming up that might be of interest to our listeners out there. So before we go tonight, and uh, I'm sure the other four will indulge me, let's, uh, let's take a quick romp through the anime community calendar. Back in February, we talked at length about the Japanese Film Festival Online, the JFF Plus, that was put on by the Japan Foundation. The 2022 edition of it was officially announced within the last week. And it will be an online version yet again. Its initial run will is set to go from between February 14th to the 27th next year 2022 in a number of it looks like about 28 countries but right now Canada isn't one of them which probably means that it'll be we'll get to see it here up in Canada at another date maybe probably later the US however is mentioned in that initial bunch i believe yes they are so is south korea so is the philippines and brazil among other countries. We'll put a link up. In anticipation of the 2022 edition of the, J the Japanese Film Festival Online, 
the JFF Plus has decided to look back on 2021, beginning Monday, November 15th through to November 21st for one week only. Five movies that were featured in the 2021 edition of the JFF Online Plus will be available for streaming and probably in only said 28 countries that I mentioned below. Those five movies are Dance With Me, Gone, The Little Fox, Little Nights, Little Love, the live action version of Great Passage, and the documentary Torasan and Goto. Sorry about that. Something's, uh, somebody's pinging me here. <laughs> We've gone at length ad nauseum about these, all the films that were shown earlier this year in the festival. You can listen up on that. I might say more. I will say right now, all five of these films are a recommendation. For as much as uh, Kevin kept uh, asking me about films I didn't see during the festival back then. Great shooting, by the way, Kevin. These five movies I did see, and I can safely recommend all five of them for various reasons. So I'll repeat them once again. Dance With Me, Gone, The Little Fox, Little Nice Little Love, The Great Passage, and Torasan and Godot. They'll be, uh, if you have the chance to see them beginning Monday for the next, over the next week, please, you owe it to yourself to give yourself a little time to do so. On that note, so what about uh, our Japan Foundation? The Japan Foundation Toronto is continuing its series about parallels and translating various Japanese works into English. They've uh, the focus over the their last month has been on Colorful, the novel that was written by Ito Mori, which was made into a movie, uh, which was streamed last weekend on the uh, Japan Foundation Toronto website. But it'll culminate with another online discussion in the Parallel World series, which we've mentioned already, and they'll talk about translating Colorful. With the, uh, with the writer of the book itself, Ito Omori, and its translator, Jocelyn Allen, who we've mentioned before. So um, we'll put a link up to the uh, Japan Foundation Toronto website, worth checking out there. And finally, some recommendations from Humble Bundle. We always like to mention whenever something interesting comes up on Humble Bundle. There's two bundles we'd like to point out. If you're willing to pay for ebooks, I think I know which one you're going to talk about. For at least okay, why don't you? All right, take a guess and take a guess. Do you want to say something about it, and then I'll add something. Well, which one do you want to talk? There is the Dark Horse one with featuring Kazo Koike's works. Yes, which would be uh, I think it's Lone Wolf and Cub, Samurai Executioner, and Path of the Assassin. I believe as well as Crying Freeman. Oh, Crying, Crying Freeman, Freeman too. Yeah, Crying Freeman's in this, and so is Lady Snowblood. Oh, oh boy. So yeah, and and I think these are all complete series. Yes. So if you're willing to pay, um, 
If you're willing to pay, I think minimum. I'm I trying to see what the thirty dollars uh, and eighty nine cents for all of the volumes at the moment. Yeah, thirty thirty eighty nine for the whole thing. Yeah, because uh, I know Lady Snowblood and Crying Freeman are out of print for the most part, as well as I think certain volumes of Samurai Executioner are as well. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty tempting offer. I didn't even realize because I'm sure. I, Sorry, what was that? I was name? just thinking, Kevin. I didn't even realize because for Dark Horse compared to some of the other ones, that these ones they had actually put into ebook format and stuff like that. Because I know they had gotten to it for some of their comics and some manga, but I didn't realize they had went back and done some of their older stuff, like these ones as well. So that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. Like I imagine they would have for Lone Wolf and Cub because that is one of their better selling manga that they do reissue from time to time, but the others debatable that they would have done anything more with them. Even Crying Freeman and a few of the others, because it's been years since they did uh, the physical editions, and I'm not sure if any of them, as you said, are in print for some of them. I don't believe so, no. Uh, I know... I think it was like Path of the Assassin and Samurai Executioner did get the Omnibus treatment. Definitely Samurai Executioner. But I think those are starting to go out of print as well. Okay. So definitely some value there, that's for sure. Yeah, I am tempted. I'm probably going to give it a shot myself. For a classic manga bundle, uh, this is uh, for this one creator. It definitely is uh, tempting in that. And he's done some great work and stuff like that. Okay. Yo, I want want Wounded and Offered Man, or or Wounded Man and Offered to uh, come back out at some point because those were comics one slash dr master yeah who knows when those yeah that was interesting how comics one and that did quite a few of koike's uh, books and stuff like that and then uh, when dark horse did a few of the others like lone whiff and cub and stuff like that they started to reprint some of his uh, other stuff because some of his earlier works like example uh, crying freeman went to him personally after uh, a certain period of time, so they were able to license from him directly, which was interesting. Uh, yeah, and uh, those two titles are getting kind of pricey in the secondhand market now. Can you take a guess on the other item I want to mention from Humble Bundle? I have no clue what the other one would have been. It's... It's referred to as the Live Like a Samurai Bundle from Shambhala Publications. It's basically a bunch of books that tackle East Asian philosophy, martial arts philosophy, and at least two graphic novels. One based on Musashi and the other based on 47 Ronin. All interesting. Uh, They're all interesting, interesting books. At least, uh, I've read Book of Five Rings. Taking a look now, they even have Myself. The Art of War in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not Japanese, I get it. But that might be worth your while as well, and that's, uh, you can get that entire bundle for, I think, 22 Canadian. But uh, worth checking out there. And no, we don't get anything out of this. We just think these are cool. 
it might be worth your uh, worth your trouble. And I'll admit tem uh, being tempted by that one as well. Okay. I think we've uh, overstayed our welcome tonight. Oh, Kevin, you want uh, anything else to add before we go? Okay, so to the people who watched the new My Hero Academia movie, how did you guys find it? Mo, last uh, before we go tonight. Uh, it was really good. Uh, I personally liked it better than the second one. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, Rhodey Soul, who's the the I guess the other character or original character for the movie was super awesome. Uh, you know, really good. You know, yeah, go watch it. I I <laughs> thought it was the worst of the three, but I think that all three of the My Hero Academia Academia movies are probably better than your average Naruto Bleach Dragon Ball Z movie. So you know, <laughs> I think they're still rather high quality. It's like the worst fudge, you what know? What you're saying is Shonen Jump is <laughs> getting better at their filler content sometimes, huh? Or finding ways to... I would say so. Content in. Hero Academia lends itself really well to filler content. I'm actually kind of a little bit sad there aren't, like, filler arcs anymore because the couple of filler episodes they've had have been fun and focused on Froppy, so that's always a good time. Yeah. Frog Girl is one of the best girls. <laughs> James, did you see it? No, I didn't see it at all. So I don't know uh, how many people are going to the movie theaters now, guys. Uh, so yeah, when well, I numbers when I went, it was like maybe only a third full. Uh, I went on Tuesday, so I purposely waited for cheap day to go watch it, and it was spaced out pretty well. Uh, I I did enjoy the movie. It was fairly predictable in terms of setup, but it had a fun kind of Bonnie and Clyde esque feel to it. I guess uh, I, I, <laughs> I, you know, it was fun. Like I don't, I never really expect great quality when it comes to these uh, Shonen Jump filler movies, but you know, I was entertained, albeit yes, very predictable, and the how the how the thing concludes is a little bullshit <laughs> because way too much time elapsed. Let's be real here. Oh, let's not be time realists here. Come on. This is a, this is a movie of pure joy and fun. Let's not keep a stopwatch. Yeah, yeah, check, the brain, fun, check the brain like, at the door. Exactly. But when, when there was five minutes left, that was legit like 20 minutes long. It's, it's movie magic, man. <laughs> and I, I, I saw it on, yeah, go go ahead. Just I saw it on Halloween, um, and that might have had a, a factor of it. But there was a Bakugo cosplayer in the audience who, like, at the end, uh, did a very good Bakugo impression and told us nerds to get out of there um, <laughs> at the end of the movie, which was a a, a very nice uh, a very nice touch. Way to go! Was that after the credits? Most people I know stay for the credits. Yeah, yeah, no, that was. That was... <laughs> That, that, that was, was after the That's probably a nice touch at the end there. That's true. Okay. How many times did you guys see the trailer for the new uh, uh, Sword Art Online movie? <laughs> we in the, in the screen that I saw, they showed it three times before the movie. Oh, really? Weird. Wow. The, same, the, the exact same trailer, just uh, three times. That is weird. Yeah. We got... On the topic of filler. We got one. We got it once. 
And then they also showed the trailer for the new Matrix movie. Yep, same year, yep. And a couple other things. Mm. I wonder if it's sometimes for some of the events and stuff like that, we don't always get some of the stuff uh, the U.S. gets in that, because I know we didn't get the Lupin uh, event that they held in October in that. Like, the one thing to end off on these different movies that are coming to Cineplex and other places is is that hopefully uh, in December we get uh, like the U.S. is getting, because I know Fathom is doing it down there, is the Macross Plus movie edition is supposedly coming in December, and that would be interesting to see, even though it's not the OVA. I would yeah, there's your wish. That. I knew you'd figure out a way to get that one in, James. The way to go. I'd be down to watch that in a theater. I, yeah, I think a lot of people would be, and it would like, in light of everything that happened to the Macross title in 2021. I feel like it's been, as we said, a release of the floodgates. Like Funimation has been releasing uh, the Robotech stuff, uh, culminating, I guess, on the third series uh, in December. And now we're seeing actual Macross in the theaters, which I'm sure no one expected in 2021, if at all. See, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Anyway, I know we'll have we'll have a lot more to do, but, you know, we should end it because I have to get this episode up. I have to actually put the links from episode 52 up. Uh, Yeah, it's been a rough month. I've actually been playing my Switch lately. It's been fun. Yes, you did. And you mentioned that to me two weeks ago. I'm actually playing it, though. Oh, you opened it. That's right. Okay. I actually opened it. Last thing. (laughs) And uh, for for reference... um, I will probably uh, start uh, load in uh, Yakuza Kiwami two finally, but uh, okay. So I'm waiting for Yakuza five. Like Atlas, what the heck? Why did you delay it for us like four days when like other places just got it already? This thing you you're gonna get all the standard games. Like you can get uh, Breath of the Wild and play that, and just remember uh, the right way to play it there, Kevin. Uh, I'll lend you uh, my flip grip so you can play Breath of the Wild in Tate mode. And I also have an N64 controller so you can use that to control uh, Link and get the job done. (laughs) And get it immediately. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it's done. (laughs) I need to ask you about this after we cut this off. And we're going to do so right now because that's all we have for tonight. Once again, a reminder where you can contact us, anime roundtable at gmail.com at anime roundtable, anime roundtable.com. And don't forget, word of mouth is always good, so tell your friends about this show if you think they'll like it, because it'll always help us. And leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. Yes. Uh leave us those five-star reviews. Give us some positive or uh constructive criticism. Uh, if you want us to talk about things, let us know. If you want us to shit talk more, let us know. If you want us to bash people, let us know. Just let us know that you're out there. Or or whatever a video game controller really does work. And yeah, it'll help us in the algorithm. Make a shot right there. We typically do episodes every other week, but sometimes we'll go consecutive weeks. I think we have some catching up to do, so who knows about next week. But if you don't want to miss out on anything, wherever you're watching this or listening to this, hit the subscribe button 
to be notified whenever we do add something new to the feed. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Round.